Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have an amazing guest on today. This guy is, he's a doctor. He is a magician. He is a um, hip, hypnotist. And he's going to hypnotize everybody watching and convince you to send me $100 each. I'm just kidding. I want to welcome my new friend, Dr. Steve Taubman to the show. Steve, welcome to the show. What a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Ken. Or, or should I say doctor, welcome to the show. Now you call me whatever you want to call me. Just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> I'm with you, man. So, so, so as you and I were talking before we, we went live here, um, you know, I created this show a couple of years ago to give back to the world, to help people get unstuck, to help them have a breakthrough. And, um, I think that's like right in, inside of your wheelhouse, right? Yeah, pretty much. That's essentially what I do. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So um, we have some amazing people. I want to say hi real quick to a few people. Susan Day, Ben Gay Third, my brother, how you doing? Janelle, how are you? Good to see you. Thank you for everyone who's on here. And thank you in advance to anyone who shares this out. This is going to be, I, I think Dr. Steve is going to give us some incredible value here. So so, Steve, why don't we start with where you tell everybody where you were born and raised? Sure. Well, before I do that, I just want to say uh, thanks for all the folks who are tuning in. I, I know some of the people you mentioned, and I'm so glad to see you here. Hi, Ben. Uh, so that's great. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, started life in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, where my dad was stationed in the Army back in 1956. And I was born in an Army hospital, and uh, that's where I was for the first probably three months of my life. And then my family went back to uh, where they were from, which was Brooklyn, New York. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so uh, I was there for the first couple of years of my life. And then Queens, New York, that's, we started moving further out on Long Island. Uh, and eventually when I hit the age of five, we moved to Massapequa, which is where I grew up. Uh, same place as Jerry Seinfeld and Alec Baldwin and Joey Buttafuoco. Is that in, that's in New York? Yeah, Massapequa, Long Island, New York. Nice, nice. So that's where you went to school. That's where you went to to high school. Everything there in Ma Massa Massapequa. There you go, Massapequa High School. Graduated in 1974. Wow, I was six. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you said nice. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate you pointing that out. So, I'm, I'm hey. Once you hit fifty, it's like you know. I don't know. You know, the thing is, my mom used to lie about her age, and she, you know, she'd tell people that she was she was younger than she was. Again, she looked good for her age, but I always thought if, if you're going to lie about your age, tell people you're older than you are. That <laughs> way, you look really good for your age. Right, right. I, um, a friend of mine was talking about. He, that he's younger than me. He's a year younger than me. And I, and, and I'm like, dude, your entire head is gray and I don't have any gray. So, you know, he goes, yeah. And guess what? As a result, people write me bigger checks because they think I'm wise. <laughs> you started painting your hair with a little bit of gray. I know. I'm like, I gotta get some gray paint for my hair or something then. <laughs> so, so did now from there, um, so you graduated high school from Massapequa, New York. 
um, Long Island, and um, you went to college? Yes, uh, SUNY Albany, State University of New York in Albany. Uh, I did uh, my first couple of years there, took a year off and came back again. Um, and then when I wrapped up there, I became a, uh, I went to chiropractic school and became a chiropractor. So I had a, had a sports medicine chiropractic practice. Uh, upon graduating from chiropractic school in uh, New York, I moved up to Vermont with my then wife, who I met at chiropractic school. And we, we started our practice and um, ran it, I ran it with her for the first four years. And then she left practice and I continued for another 10 years after that. Wow. And that's like cracking backs. <laughs> Did I just oversimplify the crap out of your-, your oh, no, uh, Yeah, of course. There's a lot more to it than that. And yeah. usually I don't use like that terminology because it makes it kind of cringe, but yes, adjusting spines. So, you know, uh, look though, I got to, I got to, cause there's a lot of, um, I, in my opinion, I've heard a lot of um, misnomers about the chiropractic world. And you know, that I I've had people go, I'd never go see a chiropractor. And I'm like, look, I slipped two discs in my lower back and, and, and a couple in my, in my neck area. And um, I went to a, a surgeon and this is at 21 years old. And they were like, um, we're going to have to operate. And I'm like, monkeys will fly out of your rear end before you start cutting on my back. Like that's not happening. So I went to a chiropractor and he saved my life, like yeah. literally saved my life. And so I've had a couple of spells with my back that, and my spine that I, I actually, so I, I love the chiropractic world. Now I know that there are some people out there that don't know what they're doing, but they're rare. It's just like brain surgeons. There's, there's, there's brain surgeons that don't know what they're doing too. So, right. Well, I'd rather go to a chiropractor who doesn't know what he's doing. Than a brain surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. So, so you, so you did that for a total of how long then you went, um, 14 years. I had 14, a practice 14 yeah, years. in Vermont. And uh, then I sold my practice in 1996. Wow. And uh, at the end of 96, and then uh, kind of re-embarked on my new life. Wow. Okay. And what was your new life? What, what happened in 96 that made well, you? Started out, I mean, I just reached a point in my practice where I was as successful I was, as I was likely to get, which was pretty successful. I had the biggest sports medicine practice in the state and, you know, one of the bigger ones in the country. And, um, and, I, and I still wasn't really happy. Uh, and I couldn't really tell you at the time why, but something told me that I, that I, I needed to change. I needed to, you know, do something different. Yeah. In retrospect, I think it's just who I was meant to be in the world. I, I felt that I was meant to be in front of people instead of in a, in an office. Um, and you know, it's all worked out really well. I love what I do now, but I yeah. took a year off from chiropractic practice and I traveled the country. I also spent uh, several months in, in uh, Central America. And I had my own personal vision quest, kind of looked at my life and reflected on what was working, and what wasn't working and what my priorities were. And I, you know, I would encourage anybody uh, who's unhappy in whatever it is they're doing um, to not jump right into whatever the next thing is, but to really put that um, kind of period of emptiness in uh, the same with relationships. I think a lot of people, they get into a bad relationship and then they leave it for another relationship that ends up being a replica of the previous one, right? Haven't really done the inner work or really reflected on, you know, how they make their choices. So yeah. I think we all need that, you know, that kind of period of reflection to, uh, to get a better sense of, of who we are, what we're really about and what we want. 
Right, right. So I did. I did that, and I um, came back home again and um, was exposed to uh, hypnosis um, or re-exposed to hypnosis. I, I had uh, uh, some exposure to hypnosis in my sports medicine practice as a therapeutic tool. But I. So, uh, so you you said you came back home. Was that Vermont or New York? Vermont at that point. Vermont has I could still consider Vermont home because it's been home since 1982. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. I have some friends up there. So so you were um so why why Central America? Hmm. Uh, I wanted to work on uh Spanish. I wanted to become you know I wanted to practice the language. I thought that would be an, a good project. And um, there are a number of places in the world where you can go and uh, do uh, sort of a residency, like you live with a family and wow. work your, on your language skills. And Guatemala seems to be one of the best for a number of reasons. Uh, the dialects are easier to understand and follow and replicate. Uh, and um, it's less expensive than doing it in Spain. So it just it, it was a, it was a good choice. And it's a beautiful country. It was and at the time it was just gorgeous. But I mean, there's Rosetta Stone. <laughs> there, there is now, yeah. There wasn't in 1980. Whatever that was. Oh, oh, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's a experience. And and yeah. it was, you know, and it's a good thing too because you know you get so much from traveling. You get so much from not just traveling the way a lot of Americans travel, like you know, going on a on a weekend junket to uh, to Las Vegas or you know a a one week tour of every city in Europe. But you know, when you go somewhere, hi Lynn, <laughs> when you go somewhere and you spend uh, a substantial amount of time there, uh, it it begins to work on you. It works on your priorities and gives you a sense of what like what is life uh, really about. You know, we're, our priorities here in this country uh, tend to be pretty material, and when you go other places, you find out there's more to it. Yeah, there, there, there definitely is. So, so you came back, um, you came back to Vermont now, you know, I, I like to kind of, I mean, you got, you became a chiropractor and, and, you know, which is amazing. And, but was there something that, um, you know, uh, here, I think that there's always something that happens, an event, a person, um, a group of people, something in childhood that kind of pushes us into or, or, or you know, kind of influences what we become as, as an adult. Do, is there anything that that as a child you were like, yeah, that's that's why I want to be a chiropractor? I always uh, saw myself going into medicine, doing some kind of a healthcare uh, thing. I think I was interested in science and uh, helping people. Uh, so that was part of what moved me in that direction. I was a pre-med student. And the reason chiropractic, not you know, more allopathic medicine, was that I took a year off from college and traveled. And a cousin of mine was married to a chiropractor, still uh, a chiropractor. And, um, and I went and I shadowed him in his office and I learned about chiropractic and I was fascinated by it. You know, the wow. whole idea of holistic health and helping individuals without the use of drugs and surgery uh, yeah. really appealed to me. And there was a lot of logic to it. It had a lot of, you know, kind of, um, you know, just basic wisdom associated with 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 it. And um, I just fell in love with the profession, and I went on to chiropractic school and loved it, and went on to be a chiropractor. That's awesome, man. So you come back from Central America after being a chiropractor for fourteen years. You go to Central America to learn Spanish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I can't think of a more complicated way to learn Spanish, but, but I'm sure it was an amazing, amazing adventure. But so you, you come back and you are re-exposed to hypnosis. Yes. And so uh, I studied with a guy by the name of Scott McFall, who is a clinical and stage hypnotist. And, um, and then followed that up with some training with the American board of hypnotherapy and got certified. And my, my, desire at that point wasn't to go into a clinical practice, but rather to do stage hypnosis, that is to entertain. Yeah. Hypnosis. And it's a very entertaining thing. And uh, so I started doing that and I became very successful at it. I was the official hypnotist for MTV Spring Break. What? The dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. Wow. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, dirty, horrible. Uh, no, it was, it was pretty amazing. So I, I got to perform in Jamaica and Barbados and the Bahamas and, uh, for a few years and it was it was pretty amazing and um and in the in that period of time i was also studying mindfulness you know studying meditation and yeah. uh, mindfulness practices really at first for myself in other words yeah. you know how do i how do i deal with my own inner demons and help myself to be the person i want to be and overcome you know old programming and break through my walls uh and so i started learning about about meditation and uh, it was something I was doing and it was something that I was, you know, practicing and studying. And while I was in uh, Jamaica doing a, a Jamaica, I was doing a hypnosis show for like 2000 or 2500 college kids on the beaches. Wow. And, um, and I was doing all the things that I don't know if you've ever seen a hypnosis show, but pretty funny. Yeah. I've got people milking a cow and I've got people conducting an orchestra and I've got one guy thinks he's pregnant. Um, and this <laughs> is on the beaches of, of Jamaica? big stage, you know, big like rock and roll stage on the beach. And, you know, all, and I've got maybe 20, 25 people on stage and 2,500 off stage watching. And in the middle of one particular show, uh, I decided to try something different. And so I took one of my subjects and I said, when you wake up, three things are going to happen. And I had never done this before. I just decided to give it a shot. So I said, number one, you don't believe you're hypnotized, even though you are. And I said, number two, this is the worst show you've ever seen. And you are aggravated with me. And I said, number three, there's an invisible wall three feet in front of you. <laughs> so I woke everybody up and I said, how's everybody doing? And everybody said, we're great, except for that one guy. He screams, you suck. <laughs> so I said, What's the problem? He says, this show is terrible. I said, well, then leave. And the guy gets up and he starts walking. And he goes, and he hits this wall. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. He, he can't move. And he finally sits back down and he crosses his arms and he starts to pout. So I said, what's the problem? And the guy goes, he goes, nothing. I said, are you hypnotized? He goes, no. I said, are you having fun? He says, no. I said, well, then why don't you leave? And the guy thinks for a minute and he says, uh, he says, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. Oh my gosh. You got to be kidding me. So, so it, it, what happened in that moment was fascinating. First of all, it was very funny. Yeah. Uh, but I realized something really profound in that moment because as a meditator and somebody learning about these, you know, uh, these yeah. ways in which we block ourselves, I suddenly had this this epiphany, and I thought, that's all of us, right? We're all trying to get somewhere. Like he's trying to get off stage. We're all trying to get somewhere, and we start moving towards our goals or our desires, and then we 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 hit our invisible walls. Yep. And wow. we and and we push and we push and we try to use effort to get where we want to go. And of course, effort doesn't break the walls, right? Why? Because you're the one who's creating them. So as hard as you push is exactly as how hard you're pushing back. So, wow. so it was that experience that suddenly like 
fell into place for me. And I said, that's the problem. The problem for us as human beings is that we're all hypnotized. Yeah. Wow. Right? We're all programmed. And as a result, we're all stuck behind invisible walls. And we keep thinking we're going to break through them by figuring out what's going on outside of ourselves. And if we could fix that, then we're going to, you know, then we'll move through. Hi, Linda. Um, then, you know, then we're going to, then we'll break through. But the reality is that the only way to break through the invisible wall is to awaken, to wake up. We started talking about that earlier to, yeah. wake up to the fact that there are no walls and that it's just an illusion. But as long as it, the illusion seems real, the illusion is real or it, it acts as if it's real. So uh, everything I've been teaching ever since has to do with techniques for waking up. Wow, man. I talk about this a lot, actually. You haven't even seen any of my... Wow. Unbelievable. So, I mean, I literally talk about this all the time. One yeah. of my favorite songs is by Creed called My Own Prison, because we build our own prisons. And I talk about it all the time. That's crazy, wow. man. And wow. you know that woman from Gurdjieff, the philosopher Gurdjieff, said the first step for escaping from prison is realizing you're in prison. <laughs> right. And most of us don't. Most of us just assume that, you know, we're we're living up to our potential and it's just a question of what everybody else is doing to us. Yeah. Better what the world is doing to us. But when we really recognize that we've created our own walls, uh, then we begin to uh, re-envision where our power is and, you know, figure out ways of, of getting over them. Oh, my gosh. This this is this is good, man. I don't even like. OK, so. <laughs> I can't, I, I, cause I know you're also a magician and I, I want you to show somebody, show, show some tricks, but, <laughs> but like, I, I, this is so powerful. This is the, this is what holds people back. It is. Life. It yeah. is. Right. So, yeah. Wow. Dude. Sorry. Dr. Dude. So, um, <laughs> I'm going to use that from now on. I like that. Yeah, I I have a doctor friend, an optometrist friend of mine. I'm like, Doctor Dude, what's up? When he calls me, <laughs> so um, and he has all of his practices are in Jamaica, by the way. He has eight locations, so um, but it, yeah, he loves Jamaica. Anyway, so you started doing this. How did you get a gig with MTV? How how does that happen? Like they called you one day and. Started out with uh, with programs for uh, for the DJ who was in charge of planning all the entertainment at uh, Margaritaville in in Jamaica, and then that introduction got made from there. Wow! Yeah. So that's that's so cool, man. Um, so you you started doing this, and then I mean, how many? So how many years did you do that? The Jamaica that thing was I think about three years. Wow! Yeah. That is so awesome. And then what, so what happened next? I mean, I know that you do more than, than hip hypnosis. I keep yeah. wanting to say hypnotherapy. It's not, it's not the same, right? Or is it? I do some of that as well. So hypnotherapy is just using hypnosis as a therapeutic form and hypnosis is great for therapy uh, for certain things that very effective and, um, and pretty consistent. Like for example, even when I'm just doing a show, I'll get people together at the end of the show, the people I've hypnotized and offer them a phobia cure. So maybe they're afraid of spiders or snakes or something like that. Um, hypnosis is very, very profound for changing that. Because if you think about it, hypnosis is meant to help you reprogram thoughts, yep. subconscious thoughts. And a phobia is nothing more than a thought, right? right? 
how you think of or how you view this particular thing. And once you overcome that phobia, once you change that thought, problem solved. It's not like, you know, like smoking cessation where there are still physiological components to it. Right, right. 100% in your head. I absolutely agree. I love that, man. So this this might turn into my favorite interview ever. So, um, well, you you know who Dr. Joe Dispenza is, right? Dr. Joe is awesome. I love the guy and I I like listen to everything he talks about because it it is all about the mind and spirit and body connection. There is. Yeah. And people don't realize that how powerful your thoughts really are. So take somebody that is um take let's let, let me let me paint a scenario. Let's say that somebody maybe has made at the most a thousand dollars a week in, in their life. That's that's the top that they've ever, ever earned. Um, but they have the desire of making $20,000 a week. Right. And, and, but there, you, you know, and I know that, <laughs> uh, Joe Ingram on, is on here. He's, he's mad now. <laughs> yeah, <well. laughs> I interviewed Joe. He's like favorite interview. What? Uh, uh, come on, Joe. <laughs> Second favorite Joe. Second. Yeah. So, so, so the, the, um, what is it that, how do you help people get past that? Because it is literally, it's a mindset. It's a thought, a, a reprogramming your neuro pathways. It's literally just a, 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 a change in the way you're thinking and approaching something. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I, I, I create a pyramid in my mind and I try to describe this to people. So if you look at the tip of the pyramid, it's results, right? You're trying to achieve new results, right? What's underneath the results? What, what the foundation of results is action. What's the action that is necessary to achieve that particular set of results, right? Right. Now, underneath action are beliefs. What are your thoughts, your beliefs, your, you know, that what's going on inside of your head that's propelling you to take certain actions versus other actions, right? Yeah. And about as deep as most people go. Now, my contention is that there's one layer deeper than that. And that's the layer of what's called presence. Now, presence basically means, have you developed the ability to stand in the moment, in this, you know, this particular moment in time and look with clarity at what your beliefs are? You see, because most of us are so caught up in our beliefs that we don't even know what our beliefs are. Right. Right. So, yep. so to reprogram your beliefs requires that you're standing somewhere other than inside of your beliefs. And so you really need to learn how to get quiet. Yep. You really need to learn how to focus. And so that's why to me, mindfulness is so important because without mindfulness, you are the victim of your beliefs. So first we develop it now. Now let's also go back to the pyramid and look at it in terms of, in, in terms of effect and consciousness. If you are a pretty unconscious person, meaning that you've been going through life, figuring that the whole world is responsible for your well-being and you've got nothing to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> I might know a couple people like yeah. that. <laughs> Those people, if they're not getting the results that they want, um, they're just going to get angry because they they figure they deserve those results. And so why aren't they coming to me? Right. So they're just stuck at the very tip of the pyramid. And of course, without doing anything, nothing changes. You know, nothing changes yeah. until you change it. Now, somebody who's slightly more conscious might say, um, well, if I want to get better results, I've, I, I've got to at least do something different. 
So that individual, they're a little more conscious. And they, at least now they realize that there are new steps that need to be taken. And they may set out to try to take those steps. But then they might, like we talked about earlier, hit a wall. Right. So they're they're all about understanding that action is necessary, but they're but they haven't yet been empowered um, to um, to consistently maintain positive action steps. Right now, yeah. the more conscious person is the person who's going to say, you know, I look back over my life and when I was younger and kind of dumb, I used to just want my results to change by magic. And then I finally got smart enough to realize I had to do something for that to happen. Right. And after going through that round a few times, realizing that I seem to lack control over taking consistent action. Right. right? I know that action is necessary, but I for some reason I can't always do it. Maybe I get discouraged or afraid or uh, or um, or depressed or all of a sudden I'm in the middle of taking action and suddenly I get bored. Right. And now I figure why bother? And it, it's a cycle. I keep doing that. And yeah. when I get bored, when I lose momentum, when I lose steam, I don't know why. So I just stop. Right. And so right. that individual is now looking at the third layer of this pyramid down and they're saying, I know what the problem is. The problem is that I need to change my beliefs, right? Because if I change my beliefs, if I change the way I think at the deepest subconscious level, then um, then I will automatically be more inclined to take the right actions, which will then more likely create the proper results. Well, right. It's very logical. And that's almost as deep as you can go. But there's that final layer, which is this. If all you're going to do is try to change your beliefs without having the deeper level of consciousness of presence, then what it's going to look like is I'm going to say affirmations, right? I don't like what I believe, so I'm going to go around saying I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And I'm just going to repeat right. these things to myself, which yeah. is, it's a blunt instrument that doesn't work that well because every time you say, I'm awesome, there's another part of you saying, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm right. great. Right. And so you're at odds with yourself because the deeper subconscious beliefs are being, um, you know, are, are pushing up against this attempt that you're making to try to change them. Yeah. So that's where I say sink all the way down into silence, like find that place of inner quiet where as beliefs arise, you have more mastery over how you change them. And then when you do that, which is very foundational, yeah. now your beliefs will change. Now your results will change. Now your, uh, I'm sorry, your actions will change. Now your results will change. Right. So, so, and, and I, I agree 100%. I, in fact, when I'm coaching, I coach and, and, and consult with, you know, business owners and, and, and help them grow in, in their business. Right. Cause that's everybody's goal. But, you know, I, I teach like affirmations are unbelievably important, writing them out to help reprogram your neuro pathways. But, you know, more important than that is you, you have to clear your neuropathways. Like, and that comes through meditation. I, I have a chapter in my book that I wrote on meditation. And there's a story about, um, and it's an old ancient, and, and in fact, Jack Canfield wrote the same story in his book, um, um, The Success Principles. But the, um, you know, it's literally about learning how to connect with God or whatever you choose to call God, but learning how to connect with that power right there beneath the xiphoid process. And, and once you, once you learn how to, and I've meditated every day of my life for the past 16 and a half years. So, you know, I, I totally, uh, this, like this dude, this, I'm like, wow, I'm, I love this interview. So, so 
Almost the like interview with Joe. Uh, Joe's Joe's is a very close. <laughs> I love, Joe said, "Finally, another genius." <laughs> yeah, Joe and I are going to be doing some work together, so I'm really excited about that. <laughs> Joe's awesome. I love Joe. So um, we talk almost every day now. But so so um, so the you know here's the thing though, like you have this. Everything you just described is a process. It's not an event. There, it's it's a process, right? And we live in a microwave society. I like to call it. Everybody wants it done right now. And and so, you know, with the with what you're doing though on a stage, or even if if we were just standing there and you're like, dude, I'm gonna hyp hypnotize you right now. And I'm like, okay. And, and you hypnotized me and you said, all right, when you're, when you wake up, you're going to bark like a dog on command. And then I do it because I'm hypnotized. Right. So like, how, how do you create such an immediate, like right now, immediate, um, result? Because we know that meditation and everything else is, is like, it's a process. It does. You don't, you don't produce the end result immediately, but in a meta, in a, in a hypnotized state, you can. Okay. Let me try to answer this really carefully for you because. And I'm not sure I'm asking the question properly either. So I get where you're, I get where you're going with it. And it's a really important question. And I, I could probably approach it from a couple different angles. So let me see if I can make some sense out of this. Okay. Um, First of all, let me say something about hypnosis to help make a distinction, because when you think of hypnosis, there's actually two things that we're talking about. One of them is the state of consciousness, in other right. words, meaning I'm in a kind of trance-like state, right? That's one way of defining hypnosis. Another way is like I've been hypnotized as in I am operating on the, on the, at the effect of suggestions that I received while I was in a hypnotic state. Hey, Bob. Um, so, uh, so those are two different things, right? Hypnotized meaning I'm in the state of consciousness or hypnotized as in I've been programmed. Yeah. Follow the right. difference. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When you, um, when you enter into a hypnotic state, there's, it, it is very much like a meditative state. You're in a very, you know, sort of quiet. No, you're not Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're not, I don't know if everybody else sees these, but we've got, uh, I'm yeah, not, they, they see them. Okay, good. <laughs> it's like people think I'm just talking to the air or something, but <laughs> no, come across. I like to acknowledge them because we're getting some really fun comments along the way and some really awesome people popping up. Yeah. Uh, and somebody said, hello, gorgeous. And I don't know if they meant me or you, but if it was me, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that was Joe talking to both of us. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, hello, gorgeous. Uh, um, okay. If someone enters a hypnotic state, they are in a more receptive open state for a change to take place in a, in, in a thought or a paradigm, something they've been believing for a long time. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that's why a phobia is, is a fairly easy thing to cure because it's, even though it could be really per persistent in our lives, it could cause us a lot of misery. In reality, it's really just one thought. It's not a, com a complex of of, of interact interlocking thoughts. Usually it's something we can usually solve pretty quickly. Right. Right. Uh, so in that hypnotic state, it's possible to just rewire a thought like that. 
Right. But as you said, mindfulness, the ability to achieve a level of consciousness where you can essentially become your own hypnotist, that's a process that takes time. Yes. So, so this is why meditation is a practice, because most people aren't going to get it the first time or the 10th or the 100th time. It's something that we do over and over again. And as we do it, we become more adept at reaching a place of inner, inner, inner silence. And early in the process, I mean, what's interesting, because I've, I've coached a lot of people on this, um, most people who start meditation, they have one or two great meditations. Yep. They start. Uh, and it gives them this sort of hope that it's a, that it's going to be go that way for, from now on. It usually doesn't. It's like beginner's luck, right? And then the next thing that happens is that they enter into a period of, of where it's a real challenge. Right. And, uh, and then if you talk to people, if I'm in an audience, I've got 500 people in the audience, and I say, how many people here have tried to meditate? And, you know, almost every hand goes up. And I'll say, how many of you here um, have tried to meditate, but you stopped because it didn't work? And then, you know, almost all the yep. same hands go up. And then that's when I kind of lay it on them where I say, listen, when you say it didn't work, what do you mean? And what they mean is, and they'll tell you this right outright, they'll say, well, I tried to quiet my mind, but it didn't work, but it just got noisy, right? It just got noisy inside. Yeah. Can you hypnotize a schizophrenic, help them recognize what is real, what is not? I don't think so, Susan. Uh, I could be wrong about that. I have no personal experience in that area. Um, but uh, it's been asked before, and I've tried to get some info on it. It's not anything anybody has a consistent answer to. Right. Um, but um, getting back to this, the the notion that um, that if you are practicing silence, what you're actually doing is you're practicing returning to silence, meaning that I'm going to sit here quiet, and my mind's going to start to wander. And then I'm going to bring it back. And then it's going to start to wander again. I'm going to bring it back. And that entire process for whatever the period of time you're doing, it may be a half hour, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever, that entire process can be like going into battle. It's not necessarily a peaceful process. And you could come out of it and say, that didn't work. That's but the right. reality is, yeah, it really did work. Because every time you bring your attention back into the moment, what you're doing is you're flexing your focus muscles. Yep. Strengthening your ability to bring your attention into this moment. And if you will allow yourself the luxury of, of doing that through the tough times and bringing your attention back into the moment, whether through meditation or other techniques we could talk about, uh, what will happen is the benefits, the fruits of your labor won't, um, yeah, the holosync is awesome. The fruits of your labor won't necessarily show up while you're meditating, but they will absolutely show up during your life when you're not meditating. You'll find yourself being more patient, more compassionate. Um, you'll find you have a better sense of humor. You'll even find that you you think quicker, like you're smarter. Yeah. Because neurologically, these shifts really do take place. And they take place when you commit yourself to taking a finite period of time and practicing to bring your attention into the moment. And that may be your breath. It may be your physical sensation. It may be a candle flame, maybe a mantra. It doesn't really matter in the context of beginning to develop that kind of focus, what you're focusing on. What matters is that you keep doing it. You keep becoming aware when your mind wanders. And the moment you're aware of it, you bring it back. And then you start developing awareness of where your mind is. And that's a very powerful thing to know. I love that, man. And, and you know, Weldon just made it. Do you see the comments on the, the right-hand side? I see some comments. I didn't see Weldon's comment. I've seen, uh, of course, Joe's comments pop there, up. No, well, I'm I'm popping those up on the screen. on uh, On the right side, you'll oh, see oh. a menu. Click on comments. You can see everything. Oh, look at that! Oh, that's awesome. Okay, yeah. so let me see them all. 
Yeah. I see, Susan, I see Jason. I see uh, Lynn, Robert. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Weldon says, hypnotize me, please. I'm always thinking I need to be at the beach, but this, and he's being, he's being honest, but he's also being funny. Yeah. The, the funny part I find though is, is I believe you can literally, it's called reframing, right? Like you can reframe just about like, um, man search for meaning Victor Frankel, right? Yeah. Unbelievable book that, that references reframing your situation and exactly. he had a serious situation he needed to reframe and, 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 and turn invented logotherapy. But you know, so like, Tell, tell, explain to Weldon what, what, how he can, um, how he could reframe that. Well, then you've got a couple options there. You know, one, one option for you is, uh, to get hypnotized to think you're at the beach while you're at work. Right. Which, uh, would, I'm sure your boss, your boss would love to no end. Um, <laughs> he, owns, he owns the company. <laughs> oh, there you go. No problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, there are so many different elements to the, you know, to like building the life of your dreams. And, you know, I really don't like, I really think that it's important to have time for leisure and have time to, you know, to create that beautiful experience that you want to experience. And for, for one thing, you know, what a lot of very successful people do is they spend a certain amount of time creating a, um, uh, painting their picture, creating a visual for themselves of what they want their lives to look like. Some people do, you know, vision boards or uh, we'll often have people make recordings where they record in multiple um, sensory uh, representational systems, what they see, what they hear, what they feel, what they taste when their life is where they want it to be. So you, and then you dedicate periods of time during the day, like you literally or figuratively go to the beach yep. for 10 minutes a day. And for that 10 minutes, you experience it with as much vividness as possible and it tends to start a ball rolling inside of you where you start to get better at figuring out how to how do i how do i construct my life in such a way that i get to do what i really love and want to do without shirking my responsibilities elsewhere and you know when you when push comes to shove you know what it always comes down to time management yeah time management, priorities how am i spending my time am i blocking my time effectively am i totally doing what i what I'm supposed to do while I'm doing it, or am I thinking about the beach while I'm at work and thinking about work while I'm at the beach, which is how most of us live our lives, or do I become so good at being present time conscious Yeah. that, that not only is every moment being used to its maximum effectiveness and therefore allowing me to have more time to do the things I want to do, but also every moment takes on a quality that, that half of your attention could never give you. Right. Right. So if I'm, and I teach this, see another technique I teach for, um, for mindfulness, I call it cherish the mundane, right? Now cherish the mundane basically means taking a mundane activity like washing the dishes where what you would ordinarily do is I'm washing the dishes, but at the same time I'm talking to somebody else or I'm watching TV or I'm yelling at my kids or I'm, you know, um, thinking about what I need to do next. And instead you decide I'm going to wash each dish as if it were my child. And I wash that dish with complete reverence and focus, and I don't let anything else get in the way. And then I move on to the next dish. Now, of course, you break less dishes that way. Yeah. But you also have this remarkable experience that nobody could, you know, you know, I could tell you this, and you're not going to believe it until you do it yourself. But yeah. that when you do it, it goes faster, not slow. You think, well, if I'm going to wash every dish, like my baby, it's going to take forever to wash the dishes. But in reality, what will happen is that, the time seems to shrink. You'll experience that time 
as passing really quickly because you're giving it your undivided attention. You're giving it your focus. Yeah. So when, whenever you give anything your undivided attention, it, allevi it alleviates boredom. It alleviates a sense of, of purposelessness. It, 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 it fills you up. And it's amazing how many things in your life that you've just decided aren't worth your attention. I think that, and and you may agree or may not agree. I'm I'm not sure, but um, you know, I I think that we have this, um, and I don't know if it's been a, a forever or if it's just in the recent 10, 20 years. We have an issue in society with placing a label on everything. Like I'm a schizophrenic, and if I if I believe that enough, then I'm probably going to be a schizophrenic. Or if I believe, like, I'm a well, and so am I. Yeah, right. Exactly. And and Weldon says I'm working on my time management problem. As soon as you acknowledge you have a time management problem, you make it a real deal. Like you know, and and I like so what you're talking about. Um, do you know who Pema Shadron is? Yeah, I've spent time with her. I love her and and she has amazing videos because I have a lot of people say, well, Ken, how do I learn how to meditate? And I go, it's not something you learn. It's something you do. It's just a, it's a, it's, it's just, it's, it's being. And, and, and I, I talk about focusing on right here, the breath coming in and out of your nostrils and, and, and nothing else. But Pema says, Hey, the tiger, meaning your thoughts, your mind, the tiger's going to run. It's going to run. And you just have to watch it, observe it, try to be the observer of those thoughts and watch it. And it'll come back. It'll come back around. And when it comes back around, just welcome it back and, and, and continue to focus on your breath. That's the way that, that I've meditated for many, many, many years. So the thing about meditation is that there are, um, it's a lot easier to get in trouble by learning too much than by not learning enough because it's a very simple course. It's like right. anybody to meditate in a minute. And then if they just go ahead and do that, it'll work. The problem is that you also need to prepare people for the inevitable tiger. Yes. Right. Because they're going to think that it's not working when in reality, that's part of the whole deal. It's like you got to kind of take that 20,000 foot view of what meditation really is. Yeah. And other mindfulness practices, like the one I described, that all of these practices are designed to um, to put you into a, into an exercise regime when it comes to your focus. Right, and that's right. The whole, that's the whole thing. And once you get that, um, and you're willing to put up with it, because like you said, we live in a microwave society, and we all want a quick fix. And you know, that's when we brought up the question of hypnosis. Hypnosis can be a quick fix for a simple problem, but it's not going to be a quick fix for your entire mental structure. Right. It's going to it's going to give you a glimpse of what it looks like to go into a different state of consciousness. It's going to give you a glimpse into the before and after of when you let go of an old persistent pattern of thinking. But if you want to really, as I said, become your own hypnotist, if you want to be somebody who is dissecting like a surgeon. Right. Of your own mind and looking at everything you do every day of your life through the eyes of of self-improvement. You know, hmm, I noticed that I get angry when somebody cuts me off on the road. Well, I could continue just being angry about that, or I could say, ah, there's an opportunity to notice another place in my life where I need some work. Yes. And and, and we're constantly be give, being given the gift of, of revelation. Amen. Now, there's another way you could be, you know, working on yourself. There's another way. And 
one of the benefits of doing this kind of work for me over the course of the last many years I've been doing it is I very seldom get mad and stay mad at anybody or anything. Because the moment I notice myself getting mad, I'm like, oh, that one gotcha. Yeah. All of a sudden, the question isn't about them. It's about me. Dude, this, I, I love that. That's so true. You can't, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Grant Cardone and Grant says, whatever you see in me, whatever you like or dislike is in you. And absolutely. he's thousand percent correct. Yeah. thousand percent. And, and, you know, it's, it's taken me a long time to realize that, that the problem isn't out there. It's <laughs> not out there, everybody. It's not out there. I don't care what the problem is you have in your life. It's not out there. It's in here. And I got to fix what's in here. I got to look at that. And, and, and what you're talking about is, is the path. Well, you know, it's, it's a hard sale what you're trying to sell right now because you know people say yeah, my boss is a jerk you know i mean that <laughs> my boss is not a jerk he is right you know so in that sense um yeah there's there's stuff going on out there that's that's unpleasant but but sure. it's still an opportunity for you it's still something that you could work with i mean i've dealt with you know people that a lot of people have a hard time dealing with and i don't necessarily have a hard time dealing with them um not because they're not difficult people to deal with but because I don't care. You know, I just don't, it, it doesn't right. trigger me. So the question isn't whether or not there's stuff going on out there. The question is whether or not you're triggered by it. Right. You can like, if you can master your ability to stay centered, serene, calm, peaceful, happy, and amused, yeah. which is a really good one. This is why I was always fascinated when I was a kid and used to see pictures of gurus and people up on the mountaintop. They were always very, very serious looking. Yeah. Then I started meeting these dudes and they're all like really funny and lifelike and playful. Right. I met the Dalai Lama and the guy, like he had a great sense of humor. You know, people, we were in a, group, a small group of doctors and somebody said to the Dalai Lama, uh, you know, there's this rift between the Eastern and the Western views of medicine and how do we reconcile them? And he's up there, he says, I don't know, I'm just a monk. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's like, yeah, I don't know. You know, right. the, the attitude of like, I don't have to know everything. Right. And, you know, life is funny, you know, from the right perspective. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there's stuff out there, but it's not the stuff that's going to ultimately determine your well-being if you understand the process. And the process, if you want to have a word or two about that, is that first and foremost, you have to decide yeah. that uh, I'm responsible for my own happiness and I want to be happy. Right. So I choose happiness, not as in I'm just going to walk around smiling all the time. That's that's nonsense. And that's not how we really operate. And it's superficial. Right. It's not a Pollyanna thing. It's right. just a question of if my life is working, it's because I'm happy. So I might as well be observing whether or not I am. So that's step one. Step two is, you know, nobody who's like living a um, an immoral life, like a life where they're like stealing and cheating and, and you know, causing suffering, none of those people are going to end up being really, truly happy. Right. right? So, uh, so ultimately we all need to, um, you know, live by a code of conduct, whatever that is for us, we need to learn how to live by our own code of conduct so that we are sort of setting up a foundation within which we can create a good life and be happy. Right. Right. And, and that's what religion gives us. Right. Yep. But the third step is the part that mindfulness gives us, which is the ability to focus. It's, you know, what, what the Buddhists call samadhi, concentration. You need to practice to, to concentrate, to be present, to be in the moment so that you're not being drawn off in many different directions and letting your mind run you amok. That's right. why my 
her mantra, the mantra that I, I thought I wrote it, somebody told me somebody else wrote it, but I've been saying it for a lot of years is, um, don't believe everything you think. Right. 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 So, so that's the third step, right? The fourth step is that once you develop that necessary strength from bringing your attention back and bringing it back and bringing it back in meditation and mindfulness practices, then the moment that you do become aggravated, you instantly shift into that awareness that this is a great opportunity for me to practice bringing my attention back. Let me see what it feels like to sit inside of the discomfort rather yeah. than trying to fix it in my head and get the other person to realize how stupid they are. Well, and, and I, I read somewhere, I think it was the, uh, the Dalai Lama, I'm not sure, um, would say, I have so many things to get done today, so much to accomplish, I must meditate longer. That's a great line, yeah. Yeah. It, and that's the whole Stephen Covey sharpen your saw, right? Yeah. It's yes. like we're, we're thinking that if we put in more effort and more time and more focus into this one thing that that it's going to get better. But, you know, here's another mantra for you. It says, fix the mood before you fix the mess. Right. Right. Yeah. So you're miserable and you're trying to do this thing and you're doing it with, you know, a lot of intensity, but not a lot of efficiency. And what you really need to do is just step back from it and just get centered. And then when yeah. you return to whatever it was, you're more efficient and effective, or it turns out you didn't really need to do anything anyway, because you're only thinking you do because you're all stressed out. Right. Right. Dude, we are already at 50 minutes into an hour long interview. We can go a little bit longer, but, but I, I'm, I'm absolutely blown away by this conversation. It, it's amazing. So, so with, with, um, and, and I'm sitting here like I have, you know, I've read for many, many, many years. I've studied this stuff so I could sit here and talk to you literally all day and people would probably get bored with our conversation. But um, like, I think that that, um, you know, you we don't have to show off your magician tricks unless you want to. <laughs> I mean, we we, we kind of prepared for it. Um, but you are a magician also. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, let's do it this way in this context and we'll do it quickly so that we can get back to our conversation. Yeah. So, uh, I will do one magic trick. Um, and uh, just I just I got some rubber bands I've been fiddling with, so I might as well do something with rubber bands. Yeah. And I'll tell you before I do it that my, that my frame around magic is that uh, one of the most powerful uh, tools at our disposal, if we want to become more conscious as human beings, I already said you need to learn to get quiet, right? To create yep. silence. And at the same time, our minds are constantly worrying. And it's very difficult for us to shut off our brains. Um, it's something we just don't do well, certainly in our society. Right. So uh, one of the most powerful tools at our disposal to just momentarily shut off our brains is astonishment, right? Mm -hmm. So like, you know, like a good belly laugh will do that too. So like, you know, that feeling you get when you like laugh until you're tearing up and then you go, ah, and then all of a sudden, like you hear that, like ringing in your ears, you have this sort of quiet screen feel. Yep. That's an awesome place to be. And it's something that we could all benefit from going to. And yeah. magic is something that can create that momentary gap in our ongoing thought process. So that's one of the reasons I do magic. Um, so, okay. Uh, rubber bands. Um, you guys are not here in the flesh, so you're just going to have to trust me that these are, in fact, real rubber bands. And the reason I do this trick is because uh, most people are familiar with a famous trick called the linking rings, with the metal rings that link together. Yeah, yeah. But if you don't own your own linking rings, you're a little suspicious about the prop. Right. So, so I thought, what if I did the same thing just using rubber bands? And so the idea is if I take one rubber band on my fingers and I put another one behind it, 
like this. So my, my hands are linked together. I want, I just want to make sure that yeah, reflect that. I don't know if you're seeing it. That see it. Yep. This is really hard to do by the way, because I turn, I go right and it goes left. So yeah. <laughs> it's the opposite of a mirror, but they, they, they are linked together. Right. So yep. check that. All I have to do is give a little pull and one of them pulls right through the other one. Dude, that is insane, man. <laughs> I know, I'm going to do it again because, um, you know, you might've looked away. So they are really linked. I can't get out that way or that way. Right, I can't get out that way or that way. It's not a puzzle. It's an optical illusion. They're definitely linked together. No matter how yeah. you look, the only way to get them out is to melt them right through each other like that, and they come apart. Wow, that is really cool. Thanks. By the That's way, I you know because I had somebody say they say, well, if you get them to unlink, can you also get them to link? So if I push on one of them, it links right through the other one, and then one rubber band is inside the other one. Oh my god! Yeah. And then the only way to get that out of there is to break the rubber band. But if you blow on it it heals oh my gosh look at that that's pretty cool wow <laughs> Joe says, being a certified rubber band inspector i testify that these are in fact real <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you're with us to witness that yeah thank you joe yeah so so I can't stress enough that, that, you know, I, I read a book by M Scott Peck, the, the road less traveled many years ago. Uh, and, and that was kind of the book that set me on a journey. I mean, big time, you know, took on a whole, whole new definition of the word love and what it actually meant and, and, and a lot of other amazing things. And, and so, <clears throat> I think people overanalyze meditation. Do you agree with that? Yeah, well, we'll overanalyze anything if it'll get us away from uh, getting quiet. You know, it's our ego trying to protect us from the experience of annihilation because our ego doesn't want to go away. We don't want it. We want to believe and continue to believe that we are our thoughts. Yeah, I, I am my thoughts, right? There's nothing else there. So my thoughts hold sway over me. And if I get quiet, it's tantamount to death. Right inside, I feel panic. I feel fear, uh, and and so we've got to face a lot of difficult, uncomfortable feelings if we're going to actually begin the journey out of our egos. So we're constantly trying to protect ourselves. And what's the best way to like uh, to stay where you are is to just start talking about it, right? Just talking, you know. So we keep on thinking about it and talking about it, and we're and in the meantime, we're avoiding the inevitable, right? Wow. That's powerful, man. That's so powerful. So uh, talk about what you, what you do now, because you're, um, <clears throat> you are, um, you're like a globetrotter now. <laughs> I, am. I, get, I get to hang out with my guru. You want to meet my guru? Yeah. Oh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's Woody. What am I doing now? So uh, right now, I, I have the um, the wonderful uh, good fortune to be uh, connected with uh, Eric Swanson from uh, Habitude Warrior Conference. It used to be Universal Seminars, and uh, he um, orchestrates these remarkable conferences all over the country. Uh, and and so I'm one of the speakers on his stage, but I also get to go out to cities where we're going to run a conference. And right and teach workshops, kind of give everybody the tip of the iceberg, give them a little sample of what 
um, what they'll get from attending our programs. And so I'm spending uh, my days going into uh, offices, uh, real estate, insurance, uh, mortgage, title, car dealerships, uh, financial planners, and uh, teaching them some of the principles of success, some of the characteristics and habits and attitudes of highly successful people. And then, you know, giving them an invitation to attend our conference at a discounted rate. So that's the model. And it's yeah. been interesting because it's got me in various cities. I've been in uh, San Antonio and Austin and Houston, St. Louis and, and Raleigh, North Carolina. And there's Eric Swanson himself, the man. Yeah. Awesome. Woohoo. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's what um, that's what I've been doing and uh, getting to partner with this buddy of mine and, and uh, learn more about uh, about the inside of the business and uh, and and what it takes to uh, impact people in this way. So, That's uh, so funny. Look what Joe just said. Yeah, exactly. I think he's got a radar. He's like, I he know. Wow. Probably you know, like walking down the street and all of a sudden he was like, I think somebody's talking about me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so, um, so you're traveling around with, with Eric and, and, and setting all of this up. Yeah. Yeah. So Eric and I, well, we're not always traveling together, but we do meet up in various cities and hang out and uh, we're on the phone every day. Uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's been an education. I'm learning a lot about, about, uh, well, a lot of things, I think, you know, it's yeah. interesting to be speaking I mean, in my background. I've, for many years, I was a keynote speaker in front of lots of people, you know, thousand, two thousand, five thousand people on a big stage where, you know, got the boom microphone. You look like Britney Spears grandfather. And uh, and I uh, now I'm doing these things where I'm in front of maybe 10, 15, 20 people. And it's a much more intimate environment. And it gives me an opportunity to uh, to teach at a deeper level. Sure. So uh, so it's really enjoyable. And it's you know, these are mostly business people. And so, uh, you know, I'm teaching stuff that 10 years ago was just considered, you know, new age nonsense, right? And now we're aware that this is like pretty foundational to a successful person. Well, I think that there's just a lot of, um, you know, I mean, look, from from my perspective, I grew up in a, in yeah. a being being sent to a church that was a, 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 you know, Pentecostal church and, and, you know, you, you get programmed and to believe all of these things and this hell, fire and brimstone stuff. And, and I don't believe all that today. I mean, I, I, I believe that Jesus came here to teach us something unbelievably valuable that a lot of religions have just totally messed up. There's a book called Power Versus Force yep. that, that actually is about kinesiology. And it talks, I've read that book three times. It's an amazing book. And, and it talks about that, you know, like, wake up. <laughs> like, right. So, so man, you are, you, you, I could uh, listen, Steve, I could sit here all day and talk to you about this stuff. I, I mean, I love what you, what you're doing and who you are and I celebrate it. I, I, I think you're a phenomenal human doing. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a difference, right? difference between human being and human doing and you're out there doing it is there is there a place where everybody should follow you is facebook or instagram better or what what's the best place uh i don't do instagram i i probably should but i haven't and so uh yeah I, i'm on facebook i do almost all my posting on my own personal page and i haven't you know i'm you could still you sneak in there before i hit finally hit that top number. I do have a, a bit, you know, whatever it is, a fan page and you can go there too. 
So there's, it's either Steve Taubman or Dr. Steve Taubman. You can join them both. You'll probably get more content on the plain old Steve Taubman Facebook page. And you can definitely go to my website, which is uh, stevetaubman.com. Okay. And, uh, and there are, by the way, some uh, podcasts and blog posts and things and interviews with other amazing people. Um, so, awesome. yeah, check it out. Join my universe. Visit me. And uh, we got a question from uh, Eric over here. What's one of the best? Yeah, from the audience. Right. For their own excuses. Um, besides slapping them? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Eric is asking, what's the best technique to overcome a concern? Uh, now, I, he, the, Oh, sorry. Yeah, there it is. People seem to fight for their own excuses. Um, it's almost impossible to get somebody else to not fight for their own excuses. It's got to be something we do ourselves, right? So um, what I say is when you, you know, when you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them, right? Because like... I remember my sister when my mom was passing and my sister was the one who was primarily responsible for uh, getting my mother into the nursing home and dealing with uh, the live at home people and all that. And she was stressing out. Yeah. And at one point we had a couple of wins, a couple of good things happen. And my sister was still acting like she was really down because, well, well the next bad thing is going to happen soon. Right. And I said, Donna, you know, you are allowed to feel some relief when good stuff happens too. Yeah. And she wrote back and she said, don't tell me how I should feel. I'm a, I have a right to feel bad. And I said, yep. Yeah, okay. Go for it. <laughs> you know, and that's when people fight for their excuse, they fight for their misery. Then you don't have a lot of power to help them through that. You, there's nothing you can do. Cause I, I think that I look, I, that's, that is number one thing that's holding people back. Right. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that they hold on to that. They that's not that there's nothing you can do. It's that you can't hit it head on, and there's got to be a certain degree of readiness, right? right? Now, most people have some readiness because they've probably been through this a few times before, right? I mean, there's a short and a long answer to this, right? The short answer, obviously, is um, is let people work out their own stuff. The longer answer is if you notice somebody keeps on hitting the same walls over and over again, what you really need to do is to point this out to them. And you know, at least introduce them to the idea that they're creating their own misery and then see where they land with that. If they're willing to open up to that possibility, maybe you give them a great book that teaches them about that. You know, you give them power versus force. Yeah. Or you give yeah. them the power of now or you give them one of my books. You, you know, you do something to, uh, to introduce them to that concept rather than you trying to lecture them into the change. Because if you try to lecture them into the change, the more you push, the more they push back. You know, I, I've been sober 17 and a half years and I, I was in the recovery movement for a long time. And there was this kid I was trying to help him get his life together. And I said, um, I said, he, he kept relapsing mm -hmm. and he would call me, I'm going to drink, I'm going to go get drunk. And I would freak out. And I was like, no, don't do it, man. You can't drink. And, blah, 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 blah. and then he'd go do it. And I was like, son of a, and, and like, you know, I'd go through this process with him over and over and over. And my, my sponsor was, was Buddhist. And, and he says, um, he says, Hey, the next time he calls you, tell him, okay, let me know how that works out for you and hang up. And, and so, so the next time he called, I said, do you need some money to buy your first drink? I'll help you out with that. Like, you know, I'm like, dude. And then once once, once he no longer got my reaction, guess what happened? He took responsibility for his own crap. And, and so, you know, that's, that's the thing, man is, and, and you're spot on. I 
think I think people just that right. People are just trying to get reactions. I was thinking about when I when I was a kid. I used to say, "I'm running away." My mother said, "We should say, great, I'll pack your bags." <laughs> right, right. You literally you take all the power away from them in that moment. They're like, "Well, shit. What am I supposed to do now?" Pardon my language, everyone. But but so. So I, I, I do have a couple of questions that I like to ask every every guest, and that is, um, you know, we've kind of already covered it, but recap real quick, if you would. What's the number one thing, in your opinion, holding every holding people back in life from achieving what they truly desire? The inability to feel discomfort. Mm. That if you can, like all the stuff we've been talking about today involves the ability to sit quietly with yourself and observe, like you said, create the witness, the observer of your own experience. But when you get sit quietly with the witness, then all the stuff that's happening that you are witnessing can be very uncomfortable. And what we usually do is we'll run to whatever our addiction of choice is, whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, work, yeah. uh, relationships, and we'll just do anything we can or just thinking not to face the discomfort, but when you've practiced the art of facing discomfort and allowed it to wash through you, you yeah. develop a superpower that you don't have. So the ability to face discomfort will have a great impact on your success in life. Wow, dude, that's awesome. Second thing is this, somebody calls you up, you get they get you on the phone. People don't have access to celebrities like you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But like, you know, they get you on the phone and and they say, man, my my car was repoed last week. My electric's being shut off tomorrow. I've tried everything I know how to do. I don't. I can't even buy food. I'm just screwed. I don't know what to do. They're at the end of their rope, and and they don't know which direction to go. How do you help that person in that moment get through that? Well, there are a few answers to that. One is, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I view part of my my responsibility is helping people with experiences, right? Yeah. So, um, so there are strategies, tools that I can help people with to essentially kind of fall into the eye of the hurricane, where all this there there's this storm going on around them in their lives, but there's also like, you know, how can I just find some serenity inside of this? So that's part of it, right? It's not all of it because clearly. That individual you just described has some work to do. There are some things that need to happen. And maybe we need to reach out and get some support from others. Maybe they're being held back by pride or maybe they, uh, they, they just don't know who to talk to. So there are pragmatic considerations. And I'm more than happy to help people around those areas. Sure. Maybe in that situation, I lend a hand, right? I don't know because I don't know the actual situation. But the reality is that when somebody's really caught up, uh, one of the most powerful and quick remedies is um something i call find your goat find um, your goat find your goat g-o-a-t so, yeah so here's here's the story it goes it comes from a story it's a nasruddin story it's a sufi story uh nasruddin was a folk hero you get to read a lot of stories nasruddin stories yeah. um and and one of the stories is the story of nasruddin is living in a little tiny cabin um with like one bed and you know maybe like five by six size built, you know, room with his wife and his five kids and his in-laws and his parents and a few of the neighbors and his dog and his cat and a goat. And they got to like 
jam the door closed at night to go to sleep and right. there's no room for anybody. And in the middle of the night, one night, the door blows open and the goat gets out and the door slams back shut again. Okay. And he wakes up in the morning and he goes, wow, there's so much space in here. <laughs> and the moral of the story is he didn't have to empty the whole place to feel some spaciousness. He just needed to get rid of that one goat, right? So for all of us, what's your goat? What's the one thing that's big? That's the biggest obstacle right now that if you got that one thing taken care of, it would give you some breathing room, it would give you some space with which you could then figure out the next step and the next step and the next step, but find your goat. Wow. That's powerful. That's very, very powerful. I love that, man. We all have something that, that holds us back. Yeah. Something. Gotta 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 learn how to get rid of it. Yeah, well, present company included. So we're all on a journey. And uh, and if I could be of any assistance to anybody, I mean, like I've got you know, got my books, I've got my audios, I've got my website. Talk about, talk about your books. I'm sorry, I forgot to bring those up. Oh uh, well, on hypnosis, that's <laughs> on hypnosis uh, is my first book. I wrote it back in 2006. It's um, based on that invisible wall story. It's how to wake up, start over, and create the life you're meant to live. It's about reinventing your life. I'm very proud of that one. Brian Tracy said it helps you release your brakes, snap out of your comfort zone and accomplish more than you ever thought possible. So if you're at a transitional point in your life and you're looking to figure out what do I want my life to look like, it, you know, finding that core of who you really are, then your values, your beliefs, your strategies, your goals, and then ultimately manifesting it and then bringing it out into the world. That's what that book is about. Wow. And then, uh, from there, I, I created a couple programs that spun off from it. Uh, one of them is... Um, this one, Ori. <laughs> yeah. Inner selling, which is um, how to sort of reprogram yourself to be the kind of person who can sell effectively, right? Yeah. From your heart uh, right. and your wisdom, right? So that's what that is. Um, and my most, uh, oh, then I've got the one on the other side. I'm afraid to raise that, that one. Procrastination Annihilation is a, a, a home study course to help you overcome procrastination. Um, and kind of become more mindful about your procrastination. And then the most recent one is that. <laughs> <it's> called, <laughs> thanks, Hector. It's called, um, it's called Bulletproof. What if everything that bugged you, blocked you, or brought you down didn't? And so it's really for like you're not getting ready to leave your new job, your current job, but you are trying to figure out how can I like excel where I am? How could I perform well? while I'm under pressure, while I'm under stress, what do I do? What are the steps? And that's right. what that book is about. And wow. uh, yeah, so those are a few. Then there's that orange one that's over one of my shoulders is, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a compilation book. You should all check that one out on Amazon. I didn't write the book, but I have a chapter in it. So it is Eric, by the way. Um, it's called uh, One Habit and it's about, it's a hundred chapters that are each like two pages long from different, from a hundred different speakers. It's hundred, the hundred happiest achievers on the planet. Wow. But how to, you know, approach your life with happiness and achieve. Um, so, and it's great. See, I think of those as like bathroom books. You know, you put them yeah. in, you go in there, you just read a page right. and it inspires you for the day. So that's a good one too. And that's then, awesome. and then we've also got all of Eric's cool books. So his little, um, yeah, flip book and everything, uh, yeah. from Habitude warrior and, uh, and you guys should all check out, you know, Habitude warrior conference because it's an amazing conference and it's probably coming to a city near you. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome, man. Dude, you're awesome. Back at you, man. You're awesome, too. It's been a really fun conversation. I appreciate the time, and uh, it's been great. And I know Woody's getting ready to go on a walk with me here pretty soon, so he'll be happy. Awesome.
Well, listen, I want to thank everyone who tuned in today and, and watched this interview and for the replay viewers and podcast listeners. Thank you so much. Make sure you reach out to Dr. Steve Tobman. That's T-A-U-B-M-A-N. Reach out to him, follow him on social media and, um, yeah, connect with this guy. Cause if you listen, if you've listened this far, you know that he is a good dude. So thank you for being on here, Dr. Steve. I appreciate you. And don't hang up on me. I'm going to end the live broadcast though. So thank you guys. Appreciate you. And we will see you tomorrow. I have Mr. Mark Victor Hansen and his wife on the show tomorrow. So thank you so much. Appreciate you.